what is up surviving the cancel summit potential speakers um and welcome to the surviving the cancel summit speakers presentation um i'm doing an audio presentation right now so that you'll have the ability to listen to this while you do other things because i know you probably have a jam-packed schedule okay um in a nutshell what this speaker's presentation is set to do is to re reveal to you all the benefits and what you stand to gain by being a speaker on this summit that I'm doing called the Surviving the Cancel Summit. The reason that I'm doing this presentation is because I know at this point in time, if I've invited you to be a speaker um, on the Surviving the Cancel Summit, a portion of you probably don't know me. You probably don't know anything about this summit. And this invitation is coming out of the blue. And because those variables remain unknown, you're probably asking yourself, why would I be a speaker on this guy's summit? What is the incentive? Okay, and so I kind of throughout the last few months uh, created a long list of incentives and put it all in a presentation. And I want to go to you know go through this presentation and reveal those incentives towards you so that you um, understand why it is important for you and I think for this world, this generation, whatever you want to say, that you participate as a speaker on this summit. Okay. I want to go to the next slide now because there are a lot of slides within within this presentation and so it might take a little while to get through it all so I want to go very quickly um, I want to give an introduction as well in case I haven't on your hadn't on your invitation page my name is Dallas I'm out here in Los Angeles I'm trying to bootstrap a technology company without a bank account or any sources of income or anything like that because I thought it'd be a cool adventure to do so uh, but that you know with that being said let's go on to the secondary page um, the secondary page, the title of it is The Summit is a Means to an End. Um, you know, like you, like any entrepreneur, I and everyone else in the world, we want to launch cool ventures. We want to bring ideas to the marketplace that we believe can change the course of humanity very quickly. And in order to do so, um, in order to have success in any operation in the world, you need great people around that operation. You need great friends around that operation. Lifelong partnerships. Um, the problem with that is that lifelong partnerships, you know, usually require massive forms of incentives or massive forms of value. Okay. It just happens so that I'm at the point in my life where I'm without resources entirely for whatever reason. Okay. I'll reveal a little bit about that as the summit goes on. Um, I was actually born without resources, but anyhow, you know, I, I don't have any time, you know, uh, my, um, unemployment which isn't even mine by the way um uh my my lease is in you know both of these things are ending uh relatively short short in a, in a relatively short period of time i have about 30 days before both of those expire um i don't have any money i have zero dollars in income um my bank account as a matter of fact in like august or july or something like that was rescinded due to insufficient funds and overdraft fees that i've been battling the entire year my credit score is like a 430 and so it's a pretty dire and hasty situation and so i don't have the time to court some of the speakers of the summit or get to know you on a personal level which you know i would like to do so i don't have a lot of value and resources to provide to the great friendships that i want to make to launch our ventures that will benefit both of us up front and so what i mean by the slide this summit was a means to an end it's a means to meet great friends great partnerships great speakers great entrepreneurs such as yourself in a way that i thought you know the only way i could think of um because it is a summit and summits benefit everyone involved 
the only way I could think of to meet great entrepreneurs such as yourself in a way that would benefit you just as much as it benefit me. Okay, so this summit is a means to meet people like you in a way where you actually reap tons of value. But what is that value is probably what you're asking. So let's go into the next slide of this presentation. Uh, it looks like my laptop's loading, so it might take a little bit of time. Uh, and in this next slide, I reveal to you just some, you know, uh, in a brief way, some of the value, you know, forms of value, some of the incentives, some of the benefits that you stand to reap by being a speaker on this summit, because I want to be direct and upfront outside of the gate. So why should you be a speaker on this summit? There are six bullet points and one of them is a joke. But the first three bullet points out of six are kind of the basic reasons anyone will be, you know, want to be part of a summit anywhere, anyhow. Okay, the first reason is to promote your message and your business. Now, to be honest with you, I'm looking for three to five, really three main speakers that'll be at the forefront of the summit. But in addition to that, 25 subsidiary speakers, the subsidiary speakers uh, will likely not be receiving this presentation in the first place. Um, but 25 subsidiary speakers um, that attendees can get access to by upgrading to a VIP pass and cool things like that. Um, it'll be an upsell to unlock that. But overall, the idea that I'm trying to communicate is there will be 30 speakers in this summit overall. And therefore, you know, a bunch of promoters, even if half promote, that's 15 promoters. And they're all podcasters. You know, podcast audiences listen to podcasts. And so your audience will be transferable. Um, but there will be a lot of traffic and eyeballs coming to this summit is basically what I'm trying to explain. And so it's the perfect platform to promote the thing that likely should matter to you most, which is your business, your message, your idea. Uh, uh, of how people should live their lives and, and, and facilitate their time here in the world. Um, so the first you know, bullet point of why you should be a speaker is to promote your message and business because there'll be a ton of traffic to promote it too. The second reason is, although a lot of people on this summit are probably like rich and cool things like that, have a lot of success within their business, uh, second reason is to earn a bit of profit from the traffic that you send to the summit. Okay. Um, a little extra money has never hurt anyone, even the rich. So, you know, uh, the second bullet point, you know, I, I really want to define or, or set an, you know, express how much value I hold in the speakers on this summit. And so for all the traffic that you send to the summit, you'll, you'll reap 100% of commissions. I won't reap a penny, a dime from the traffic that's being sent to the actual summit on any of the upsells or anything like that. Okay. So, um, the second bullet point is to earn a bit of profit from the traffic that you actually send to this surviving the cancel summit. The third reason is to gain a massive new members to your list. Now, one of the earlier speakers asked to be accommodated in this way. In any ways you wish to be accommodated as a speaker, I'm, I would look forward to doing it. I would do so happily. Um, but the third bullet point is to gain a massive new members to your list, like list shares and things like that. So if you want to do a list share from all the traffic that comes to the summit, I'll be open to that also because list is like, you know, the backbone of many businesses in the modern world. Okay, so the fourth point um, is a more unique point. It's not like a summit, you know, a point that necessarily comes with summits all the time. And the fourth point is because I, uh, you know, I, were, I was very particular in the way I selected speakers for the summit. The content within the summit aligns with the messages and the ideas being promoted in most of the speakers' businesses, okay? And so you'll be able to use this summit and just plug it into your own value ladder. Um, the fourth point says a new front-end product. And so when the summit concludes, I'll send you over the videos and the funnel slides for this summit, and you can use this to either make money for your business or get leads for your business or, or just plug it into your value ladder in general so that you can use, you can benefit from this. You could have a whole entire new product that you can do anything with, okay?
enlist for any price point and all those cool things. The fifth thing is what I think, you know, the fifth bullet point is what I think is the most valuable benefit to being a speaker on this summit. And uh, I'm going to be explaining and breaking down this benefit throughout the entirety of this presentation because it is it is a lot to explain, but I think it's immensely valuable either way. And the fifth bullet point is a new feeder program, F-E-E-D-E-R, for your company, okay? Because your company is the most important thing to you, okay? And I don't want you to deviate any time from, you know, from your company and what it is that is your mission in life currently, but I want to supercharge the operations that you already have going on. And so that's what this fifth bullet point means. And as I said, I'll be explaining a little bit about that throughout the entirety of this presentation. The sixth reason is that you don't want to be, uh, if you're not watching the visual, which I don't think I'll be doing the visual visual presentation. So if you're on an audio presentation, you probably won't see this next slide, but this next slide is kind of like a corny joke that I'm going to keep running throughout the entirety of this presentation also. So the sixth bullet point is that you don't want to be followed by ellipses, dot, dot, dot. And then I'll go to the next slide and it's just some... Uh, you know, this older guy with a ball patch in the middle of his head. Uh, it's a black bar across his eyes, so you can't really see his identity right now wearing a peak coat. Um, but you don't want to be this guy is essentially, you know, if you're watching, you know, you, you don't have the visual. But if you're listening to the audio, you don't want to be this guy that I'm looking at right now that you can't see. OK, so um, this slide is uh, it says about the summit. OK, this is like a title slide throughout the next few um Throughout the next, you know, the series of the next few slides, I'm going to be explaining a little bit about the meaning of the summit, because understanding with clarity the meaning of the summit and its message to the world, you'll be, uh, it'll give you a greater context to the benefits that you'll receive. You'll be able to better understand how it benefits you and how it benefits the world, uh, and kind of align with the goals that you're already uh, pursuing at the moment. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the summit, and. Uh, so the next slide says, what is the surviving the cancel summit? Okay, so we're going to talk about the meaning of the summit, uh, how, how the meaning, you know, appeared to me uh, initially and all that cool stuff. Because, again, it'll give you context to the benefits that you'll receive. So I'm going to illustrate the meaning of the summit through a story, as all marketers do. And as you listen to this story, I want you to ask yourself, is this something that you can relate to? Because your relation to this story, for the reasons I proposed just a second ago, is extremely critical. Okay. So without further ado, I'm going to get into the story. Uh, it's a little long-winded one, so bear with me. On August 26th of 2019, I had been held at gunpoint during a robbery. It was an armed robbery in the city of D.C. Okay, so essentially, it was me, my girlfriend, and six other people. And a guy came around the corner, kind of out of the darkness. It was 2 a.m. at night. And he held, you know, he took turns with each of us, held a gun to the back of our heads, and asked for money. And uh, obviously, this was a turning point in my life of sorts because it demonstrated to me the brevity of life itself. Okay. At any instance, we can all be gone from this reality in a blink of an eye. And the things that we've aspired to, right? Uh, because we aren't, we aren't at the end of that journey and it, it hasn't blossomed to its full potential would have essentially, you know, to me at least, would have essentially meant nothing. Okay, the ways in which I aspired to help the world and change the world uh, would have remained unfulfilled. Okay, that's what I'm realizing during this armed robbery. But what is the reason for that? The reason why the things that I aspire to and the ways I aspire to help the planet would have remained unfulfilled is because I was stunted in my growth by chasing 
so many different aspirations, many of which weren't even mine. You know, like uh, for a brief period, I went to college, uh, which I'm going to discuss also. For a brief period, I was working at a chicken shop called Royal Farms. And for another brief period, I was working at the 4 a.m. shift, running out there in the middle of the night in the freezing cold at the local Target. Okay, and so it was all these things happening in my life that were being requested by my friends and family and strangers, like, oh, work this job and go to school. And they were stunting my main aspirations, my main missions, the things that were closest to my heart. And so this armed robbery made me realize that if I die right here, even the, the ways I aspire to, to, you know, the, the pinnacle of my relationship that I aspire to pursue, you know, like things like marriage and having children, it would have never came to fruition. All the moments of my life leading up to this very moment I realized it really meant nothing, okay? And so in that moment, I decided, look, if I make it through this situation, if I make it through this robbery, I will never, ever again devote any time to anything other than my main and core aspirations, the things that mean the most to me and the things that are closest to my heart, you know, which at that point in time was, you know, this business I was building and obviously my relationship. And so in a nutshell, I never, ever develop any, you know, devote any more time to schooling or anything, you know, that my parents stacked me. I never go back to a nine to five. I never do any of it if I make it through the situation. Now, obviously, August 26th was last year. And so I made it through the situation and I'm very happy that I had. But I realized how, you know, fragile life is. Okay. But so August 26th of 2019 was the armed robbery. But 20 days prior to that, basically August 5th, I was given an ultimatum. My parents said, look, you have 30 days uh, to meet the terms of this, of this ultimatum. Okay. So the ultimatum was this. I, you know, they wanted me to quit my entrepreneurial journey, quit building this business that I was building and go back to college or pay rent to live at home. Now, because the rent was, you know, uh, that was being proposed was exceptionally high, what it sounded like to me at the time was go back to college and stop spending all this money on ads and business and things like that or go homeless. That's essentially what I heard. Now, it was completely within their right to do so. No hard feelings at all. Um, because at the time of last year, I was 22 years old. I'm 23 now. So that was 20 days prior to the armed robbery, however, which obviously changed just the context of this ultimatum. So three years before the ultimatum, let's go way back. What year is this? It's like 2017. It was really the intro of 2017. Uh, well, actually, I, this was 2016, but I, you know, closer to 2017. I had been kicked out of college with a zero GPA, not like a 0.1 or 0.2 or something funny like that, but a literal zero. Uh, because I wanted to do other things with my life. The mainstream culture's way of living, the mainstream ideology, the mainstream schools of thought, the status quo wasn't something that I really ever felt connected to. It wasn't something that I really resonated with. And so because of that, I just kind of stopped trying and shut down and fell into a funk and a depression. So three years before the ultimatum, I was kicked out of college due to a zero GPA and refused to attend again and began my entrepreneurial journey. And so I jumped out of college and started working on the side and building business after business after business after business, trying to make something that meant something to me. Okay. I became a deserter of the status quo. And those three years leading up to the ultimatum, there was nothing but feuds. Like, it was a bloody mess, you know. And so what happened essentially was there's this mainstream culture, okay. There's this status quo. 
and I deserted the status quo in search of a different subculture, a different subculture filled with different and, and unique schools of thoughts that I felt would serve my life better than you know the mainstream schools of thoughts. Now this is a process that every entrepreneur has gone through you know kind of by default they become a deserter of the status quo um and when you become a deserter of the status quo when you leave mainstream culture in search of your own subcultures and ways of thinking um you run into some barriers true or false is this something that you've experienced they would say things like this get a real job this is friends family strangers the closest people to me drove the weirdest and oddest and most painful knives straight into my spine literally like almost every day to the point where I would wake up in the morning and leave my house so I didn't have to speak to anybody because I was one embarrassing because I didn't want to be antagonized okay so they you know get a real job you know even and it is not just family I'm not putting it just on a specific unit but there was friends and there were strangers also once they heard about the situation would treat you a particular type of way they would say get a job maybe you should go back to school for X and do this as a hobby I'm telling you it's a scam they only make money by you know teaching you how to make money you're a bum you're a parasite you're a leech you're a mooch you're, 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 you have a personality disorder. You have schizophrenia. You have delusions of grandeur. You're a narcissist. Tell me if you ever heard that one, by the way. You're a narcissist. You're arrogant. Um, that's one of the ones I know you've gotten for 100% certain because you're the type of person that this summit applies to. Okay? They say, how's the business thing going? You make any money yet? They, you're just, just sarcastic to try to prod where, you know, where it hurts the most. Okay? I want to pause in the middle of this presentation. I want to ask you something. Thus far, is this something that you can relate to? Is this something that you've experienced in your life? Did you wake up one day or maybe it was birth for you when you woke up and realized that this mainstream culture, the mainstream narrative and ways of living, this status quo, it just ain't it. It ain't right. And it doesn't fit who I am. And you became an individual. You became independent in your thought. You became a free thinker and you deserted that status quo and you joined another subculture okay and upon deserting that status quo and finding subcultures outside of it like maybe the mainstream culture is like nine to five and a subculture outside of that is like entrepreneurship upon deserting that mainstream culture did you run into a lot of pain and strife amongst your personal relationships under the guise of i'm just trying to make sure you don't get hurt i'm just trying to make sure you're okay it's because we love you did you run into a lot of the worst situations with the you know relationships around you because of the decision you made to be yourself? Okay, is that something that you can relate to? Because again, relating to this is is very very it's 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 critical to understanding the context uh, of this summit and therefore understanding the benefits and the message and the meaning behind this summit. You know, and the ways that message could change your reality and the reality of the world is very critical to relate to this story. Okay, but let's go on. So three years after all these business trials and all this war and all this strife, um, when the ultimatum was announced, I was not surprised. <laughs> we had been going back and forth for a very long time. And so I plan to, you know, like a reasonable person negotiate, say, hey, can you give me a few more months? Can you give me a, maybe a few more years? <laughs> you know, so I'm 30 years old. Um, or, or I just thought also maybe I could just, you know, increase the amount of hours that I work because I was at 4 a.m. on the target, working 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. on target. I could increase the hours I work to a full-time schedule and maybe just pay the rent. That's what I thought. Maybe just put business off a little bit and pay the rent and, and, and try to survive that way. But obviously the context of that idea, 
that negotiation changed when I realized, okay, the brevity of life. When this armed robbery occurred 20 days after that ultimatum was made. You know, it made me realize, man, my brain could be splattered all over the city floor of D.C. right now. And there is nothing that I could have done about that situation. Me, my girlfriend, and everyone we was with could have blinked out of existence in a flash of an eye. And there was nothing that we can do. All the efforts that we put in because we were so divided in our concentration and our focus literally accumulated to nothing. It's like uh, I was a wrestler back in the day. It's like wrestling. A lot of wrestlers try to learn a bunch of moves. And because they try to learn a bunch of moves, they really just become average wrestlers. When you focus on one move in one vertical, you become very great at that vertical and therefore you set yourself apart. And I wasn't doing that. I was dividing my focus to all these different disciplines because I was requested by people within the status quo to do so. And so it made me realize that armed robbery is that I didn't want to divide my focus anymore. I wanted to focus strictly on business and I would not concede in that very idea because I wanted to be great at this. Okay. And so in light of the ultimatum on August 26th, no, no, no. The robbery was on August 26th. In light of the ultimatum on August 5th, you know, where I just thought, okay, I could just negotiate this or I can just maybe just go to school or I maybe could just pay the rent. Um, the armed robbery made me realize, okay, spending time on what they requested of me was just not an option. And that is what it was. So I had three choices, you know, I realized, you know, uh, when, when the ultimatum was to come into, was to be enabled, you know, the date where it was supposed to come into effect, which was the month later, September 5th, I had three choices. I could continue to work at the target and actually increase my hours. Like I said, I might, and I could lose time and money from business. But obviously in light of, you know, what I just expressed, you know, life is brief and I don't want to waste time on anything that doesn't contribute directly to what I feel in my heart. This wasn't a real option. I couldn't do this. I realized that. So the second option was just go to school and also lose time from what actually mattered to me. Um, again, for the same reasons, this just wasn't a real choice. I can't sacrifice another second because I don't even know how much seconds I have. So the third option was I could simply go homeless, throw caution to win and pursue this dream and just hope that I make it, you know? And obviously, after having faced death, like I, I could just literally not be alive. I could literally be gone, you know, uh, homelessness and all those things, even in the middle of the Maryland winter, because I'm from Maryland. Uh, it wasn't really daunting. I was like, OK, well, I can deal with whatever it is as long as I'm alive. The choice was easy. And so I left my house on September 5th, 2019, and I hadn't spoke to my parents for a few months after that. Luckily for me, I moved in with my girlfriend and her mother. And they took great care of me, and I appreciate them infinitely for doing so. But after that, shortly after that, December, uh, me and my girlfriend drove across the country, uh, really with no backing, to Los Angeles. And um, I had negative $200 in my bank account and uh, a promise that I'd never work a 9 to 5 again. So how is a situation like that supposed to come to fruition? Um, it was very bad, <laughs> but I'm not going to get into the details of that right here in this presentation. Maybe as the presentation proceeds, I don't really remember what's in the the later slides but uh you're probably wondering like what does this have to do with the summit okay i wanted you to think about the story that i just told uh you know and use that as a context to the title to you know provide towards the title surviving the cancel okay what do you think that means i want to break it down to you in a nutshell i was canceled okay people think of cancel culture as like you know whatever weird thing the internet proposes cancel culture is. But cancel culture is really anytime someone becomes a deserter of the status quo 
and begins to think for themselves. And because they don't reflect, because they're not in that echo chamber of ideas that society and the status quo wants to hear, they're instantly unpreferred. They're instantly canceled. They're instantly weird. Anybody, no matter how true or beneficial um, uh, their, their personal truths are, anybody whose personal truths doesn't reflect that of the mainstream is, some, is someone that the mainstream refers to as an enemy for whatever reason. Okay, and they cancel those people, you know, and it doesn't have to be someone that's bad. A lot of times it's just someone that thinks for themselves, someone that thinks differently, someone that feels differently. And you see these scenarios pop up over and over and over and over again. Um, One of the scenarios that I'm thinking of is like the, the gym owner out in New York that he's open during COVID and he, you know, he just wants to, you know, his gym to survive and he has 1.2 million government fees and people on Twitter are attacking this person. Now, I don't know the complete details of the situation, but, uh, you know, he just wants to live and people can't understand that because people in society, for some reason, aren't committed to understanding, you know, they, they're more committed con- to confirming their suspicions and understanding the deviance um, or the deviation from it, uh, from their suspicions. Uh, so, but in a nutshell, let me get back to the presentation. You know, I was canceled just for thinking differently, just for having my own opinions, just for saying, look, I don't want to go to college. I want to start a business. You know, I was simply canceled for wanting to live my own life. And it's not just me. And that's why this summit is important. It's not a summit about me. It's not just me. Most entrepreneurs have gone through it. And that's why I ask, is this something that you can relate to? Because their very essence and ideas are set in innovation they're canceled from birth okay you're canceled from birth because your very essence who you are is set in innovation okay innovation by its very definition is non-traditional it's contrarian it's unpopular i mean that's what innovation is okay and so we have this process you know i want to refer to something that donald miller said that he talks about he talks about the four archetypes in a story Okay, and it also applies to society. He he bring he draws that application to society a lot. The four identities or the archetypes within a story are the villain, the victim, the hero, and the guide. Okay, and so you have this mainstream culture, this bubble of uh, of schools of thoughts that are popular. Okay, and we all start there in one way or another. But at some point in our lives, because we are innovators by DNA. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they deviate from that mainstream culture. They desert that status quo and they start their own subculture outside of that mainstream bubble. OK, for whatever reason, the narratives within the mainstream bubble and the people within the mainstream bubble all identify is or, or, or reinforce what's reinforced within that bubble is the victim mentality. OK, and so when people leave that victim mentality and join their own subculture outside of the mainstream culture, they become heroes of their own story. They take responsibility for their own lives and who they want to become. They begin to think for themselves. They desert that mainstream culture and they become heroes. They turn into a different archetype. Okay. But as we go on, you know, and develop in that hero archetype, we start to look back like Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. And we start to feel for the people who are still within the mainstream culture and wonder why it is that they struggle and that we, we don't want them to. And so along that hero path, they unlock a new archetype, which is the guide. And they try to, like Harriet Tubman, go back to that mainstream culture and guide people from that identity towards this new subculture that is infinitely more beneficial. That's why you'll see a lot of entrepreneurs, they become coaches. 
They want to teach the people within this mainstream culture how to be something different, how to be something more beautiful in their turn, you know, in their personal opinion. Okay. Um, you know, I might, I might have, you know, got a little, a little bit ahead of myself right there. But the fact of the matter is leaving that status quo, leaving that mainstream culture, it is, you know, it, it is something that was predetermined within you because you are in it there because you're different. But if everything outside of that bubble is taboo, you know, the process of pulling people outside of that bubble into something that they don't even believe into something that they perceive as because they're in the victim mentality as the villain archetype, when really it's the hero or the guide, um, you know, that process of, of innovation, that process of pushing the world forward becomes a little bit more stifled. I want to give little characters to this story because I know it's all over the place and I apologize for that. I'm only doing one take on this presentation. Uh, I want to give some characters to this scenario to, to make it more clear. So Steve Jobs is an innovator from birth. He was different. Bill Gates or whoever the hell else. Elon Musk. They leave that mainstream culture because that's who they are. And they look back and they they... they, they, they they start this new subculture, they innovate these these new schools, these new ways of living, these new ideas, and they try to give it to society. And that's the way historically where society looks at this innovation and they either accept it or reject it. But when they accept it, society takes a leap forward. They go they 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 they, they accept this this new subculture and they advance because of it. Maybe the idea is like people should be more entrepreneurial. Maybe the idea is that people should go from socialism to capitalism. But either way, there's an advancement in society through this process, through this person who ventured out. And, um, you know, essentially what I'm saying is that, you know, this process that pushes the world forward in the modern era is being threatened because of cancel culture. Let me let me actually get back on the tracks here. Okay. Let me just go, you know, use the presentation that's right in front of me. Because innovation by its definition is non-traditional. These people who deviate are non-traditional, even though they're the ones that push the, you know, world forward. And what most people and because of what most people fear, because most people fear what's new and non-traditional, what's 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 unfamiliar, most innovators are canceled and live their lives under the censorship of mainstream culture. Okay, most of the people who push the world forward are canceled by the world. Is it, let me just wrap that idea up in a nutshell. Is essentially what I'm saying. Okay, and it's because by their very nature, and by the very nature of things that push the world forward, things that are innovative, things that are unpopular, things that are contrarian, um, you know, they're canceled. Okay, so in my in my eyes, I don't want to be dogmatic or anything like that, but cancel culture in my eyes is the witch hunt on innovation. Okay, it really is a lot of the times, you know. Just asked Jeff Bezos, okay? Jeff Bezos ventured out of the mainstream culture and he invented something that's new. And because he invented something that's new and actually valuable, uh, his contributions to the world were so massive, his compensation was therefore equivalent. And he re he reaped massive comp you know compensation for the world. He's very very rich. If you didn't know, Jeff Bezos is about worth two hundred billion, give or take, richest man in the world. And I say just ask Jeff Bezos because right in front of me on this slide uh, is a picture of a guillotine outside of his house. Okay, because in, in it's a little poster that says support poor communities, not our wealthy men. Okay, people don't like Jeff Bezos. They have this hashtag going around called eat the rich. Okay, while Jeff Bezos is pushing the world forward. Okay, he is simultaneously canceled by it because the ways in which he decides to do so or something that's outside of that mainstream school of thought, outside of that mainstream culture, and he's a deserter of the status quo. Jeff Bezos is canceled, okay? Uh, and this is more, you know, this is a particularly important conversation now more than ever because cancel culture is on such a rise that, you know, uh, 
people want to actually implement economic and political systems to cancel whole groups of people. Okay, and, and though that system is socialism, which is literally a system without entrepreneurs, without people like Jeff Bezos, without innovators, you know, um, they always say socialism is bad because it, it disincentivizes innovation. Okay, it's literally cancel culture for innovators, for people who deserve, deserve it, people like you and I, the first people to the chopping block. And so I know I'm speaking a lot here, but it, it, it's kind of giving context to what it is I'm saying. Surviving the cancel. Okay. Just think about that idea. I'm going to I'm going to continue on. Cancel culture isn't even a new thing, by the way. I want that to be said because people are like, oh, he's canceled. He canceled. This is a cancel culture error. No, cancel culture has been stifling the process that is responsible for pushing the world forward since the very beginning of time. I think it goes down sometimes and it rises at other times. The sentiments of society change throughout time, but it's always been a thing. So when Galileo, excuse me, came with the innovation, innovative idea of heliocentrism, for example, he said, man, we don't revolve, the sun doesn't revolve around us. It's actually the other way around. He was confined to house arrest until the day that he died. And they killed Copernicus for the same. They're killing this gym owner guy for the same. Okay. Um, they did the same thing. I'm not religious, but they did the same thing to Jesus. You know, if you're a religious person. That's cancel culture. He was a deserter of the status quo. He presented a non-traditional and contrary idea, uh, something that was outside the mainstream bubble. And because they didn't understand it, they hung him on a cross. You know, it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. But this is, you know, the very, luckily that idea survived and it pushed the world forward in its own way. But if it hadn't, you know, if Galileo or Copernicus hadn't been able to get their ideas out with the church's opposition, cancel culture would have stifled all that we know. Okay, so I want you to ask yourself because this is an important, you know, question. If you want to be a, you know, a summit speaker, ask yourself: Is this something that you can relate to? Have you ever been canceled? Okay, because my belief is that you have, and you have the blueprint to surviving the cancel—a blueprint that I need, a blueprint that a lot of the innovators in the world need. If you know the world is is, is going to continue to to advance, okay. If so, you know, if you have been canceled before, I want to, you know, cement this point a little bit more that I'm making so I don't seem like a lunatic. You'll relate to these people, okay? Uh, I'm going to rifle off some examples for you just to, you know. These people are a literal caricature of you, okay? Uh, and don't worry, I'm getting to the literal point of the summit. So without further ado, let's go on to the next slide. I want to launch a story to, to, to build up to a little bit of what I'm saying about these characters. Because I wasn't very good at starting a full-blown business, before I left home, I'd started as a freelancer writing books for entrepreneurs, okay? At first, I started small writing for fledgling entrepreneurs. And then I began to build it to more expensive tasks. And so at the beginning, I'm writing like little books for like people who with, you know, you know, maybe an agency making five to $10,000 a month or something like that, or something cool. But as I, you know, and these fledgling entrepreneurs were making like five bands a month, two bands a month, whatever it may be, they wanted like money. Their money needs weren't met. So they wanted lead magnets and things that didn't require a lot of thought just to get money in the door. They wanted to sell the ebook or, you know, they just wanted to try a new funnel or something like that. Something that bring, it was money oriented task. But as the entrepreneurs had became more accomplished, six and seven figures and things like that, I began to notice a different pattern in the client's reason for writing their book. Okay, Russell Brunson talks about this a lot that people out of the gate, we all start wanting money. But as we begin to meet our money needs and money becomes less important because you have more of it than you could ever possibly spend, you know, we begin to transition as people to contribution. 
We want to be philanthropists. We want to be altruistic towards the world. And we want to just impact the world and help people. You know, and that's what I was talking about with Donald Miller's archetypes. We become heroes. We take responsibility for our life. And we want to make money and we want to survive. But then we become the guide throughout time. G-U-I-D-E, guide throughout time. And we look back at the mainstream culture like me looking back at my neighborhoods or the places that we came from where people were poor and people are murdering and people are tired and people are in poverty and people are hurt and they want something different and we become the guide and we start to look back and want to help people and change people's lives that's the pattern this is where i actually first realized this. that's the pattern i started realizing with these people who are more paid they wanted to write a book because that's the way they proposed to pierce through the mainstream cultures that they come from and start pulling people into this new subculture that they discovered and know the benefits of that know you know they know the ways in which it changed their own lives okay the top dogs wanted change in the world they wanted to make impact whereas the smaller entrepreneurs just wanted to lead magnet or just to make money okay the top dogs they simply wanted more people to wake up and begin living to their full potential as they had at one point they wanted to pull people that they care from the toxic mainstream cultures into subcultures they felt could change their lives like entrepreneurial culture you know other ideas like people people you know another example is people begin to eat healthily or live a better life it doesn't have to, have to be entrepreneurs and they look at the mainstream culture and the way people within the mainstream the mainstream idea of what is great eating like mcdonald's and things like that fast food restaurants all the coke and the sprite and uh they want to pull people from that mainstream culture into this healthy way of eating and so they become like a gym coach or eating coach or you know a dieting coach or whatever you you know want to call it okay they want to change people's lives once their money needs are met, they start thinking about the world. And this was a battle that I could relate to, okay? Because a lot of these people, they were writing a book because they were having trouble piercing that mainstream culture. They were having trouble getting to, through to people where they're from. And this is probably something that you experienced. When you started learning all these new things that were changing your lives, changing your life, you probably had a lot of conversations with your parents and your friends and the people around you. Like, yo, the thing that you're doing for the goal that you want to meet, it, it, it isn't congruent. It isn't equivalent. Like, this is not how you meet that goal. And I know a way according to what you said you want to accomplish to do so okay and you're it's like a brick wall is there you can't get through them they don't hear you they don't understand what it is that you're trying to say and this was a battle that i could relate to i remember when i began my entrepreneurial journey even in the years prior learning so much that i believe could help the people around me and i remember pleading with them to understand but they never did in fact the more that i explained the more we found ourselves at odds that's that cancel culture because the more you explain to them that the mainstream way of living is wrong the more you indicate yourself as the deserter of that school of thought in the first place. And so this is a tricky dynamic. You start to want to help people, but then you start to position yourself as an op. That's what they, that's what they say, it's an enemy. <laughs> Someone that's a villain in the story. You know, all this advice that you're giving, suddenly through, whatever, you know, because it's a victim mentality that these people live in, suddenly comes off as antagonizing them. Okay, it's a weird, weird thing. And so the question becomes this. Or rather, the question became this. Whereas business was commonly a tool used to harvest capital and create profit. Think of like a gas station 7-Eleven. You go in and you come back out and you've made a little bit of money, okay? Or they've made a little bit of money, okay? But you're not a gas stationer. You're not a you're not Team 7-Eleven or anything like that. How is it that business could become a tool or a tool could be created, rather, that harvested capital in order to create new cultures or draw people into new subcultures that weren't the mainstream culture. In an era where new and contrarian cultures or new and contrarian ideas rub people the wrong way in the first place. How is it that you help people that think you're the enemy? That want to cancel you? 
even if what you're providing them is true and you know is is true and beneficial. You know, think of like people like Russell Brunson. Okay, you go through Russell Brunson's entire value ladder, and you don't come out the other side like, okay, I'm still like a nine to five guy, whatever. You come out the other end a funnel hacker. But that process is the thing that a lot of people are having trouble getting a grasp on. How is it that you create a device that way? How is it that you create a device that not just profits, but also changes the world by drawing people into new and innovative ideas and push the world forward? That's what the question became. And so the summit aims to answer that very question by asking experts, because I don't really know. How is it that innovators of this world can begin to do so, meet this objective of a summit in an era where new culture is becoming increasingly taboo? And it aims to answer that question with one hypothetical situation that I propose to you, the speaker of the summit. And that hypothetical situation is this. You wake up one day and a bunch of crazy socialists deem you and the idea behind your business canceled and people stop supporting you. Okay. You have 30 days before your loss of clients and gaining of new enemies drive your business and life into bankruptcy and ultimate peril. How would you, before the 30 days is up, Rally enough supporters, build a new culture, a counter movement to survive the cancel. Okay. And so essentially you're out in this subculture and you have this foundation under you, but they don't realize it's a subculture. It sounds like mainstream to them. And suddenly the mainstream culture says this culture is bad and you begin to lose that foundation. You begin to lose that supporter base. How is it that very quickly within 30 days you would reach within that mainstream uh, culture for a new foundation, for a new crop of supporters and evangelists for your subculture and pull them from that mainstream culture into your subculture to a fast, to a high enough degree that you could actually build a new foundation uh, that supports you now. So you, you know, your finances and, and your support begins to recover and then therefore survive the cancel. Make it out on the other side. Okay. When people uh, demonized you, the people that supported you originally demonized you. Okay. So essentially, if you were Vince, you know, there's a picture that's on the screen, but you can't see that picture. Uh, back where I'm from, Maryland, it's a business called Vince's Crab House, and he posted something on social media, um, and people didn't like it. And so there are pictures on the screen of people gathering outside of his uh, his business, and because people are protesting his business, allegedly, you know, he posted in I seen a news article. His he said his finances were uh, the finances of his business and his business at large were facing a lot of strife. Like they were they were getting hit pretty hard because. People didn't want to walk through crowds of people just to get into a crab house and feel threatened and all that cool stuff. So their business were losing a lot of money. Vince's crab house. So essentially, if you were Vince's crab house, how would you pull a Donald Trump? That's the question I'm asking you, because Donald Trump was in the same situation in 2016. You know, he was canceled. You know, the mainstream culture said, mm, we're not supporting you. Even his own party said, look, you're a clown. We don't want you to be the president. And he began in this brief window before the election, losing supporters and losing steam to his, his movement. But he managed to create a subculture and then fuel that subculture with individuals from the mainstream culture. He began to pull that mainstream culture over into this new subculture of made America, making America great again. And he did so at such a rate that he was actually able to rally half the country, survive the cancel and win the highest seat in the country. So if you were Vince's crab house, how would you pull a Donald Trump? It's the question I'm proposing to you. In a nutshell, you know, as a dessert of the status quo, as an innovator, you're on the chopping block. So this is not a summit about me. This is a summit about us surviving the cancel. How can we do it?
in a nutshell, this is our summit and campaign to, in a loud and divisive world, which is representative of the mainstream, how can we instead bring people to be louder but closer? That's like the slogan of the entire thing, louder, louder but closer. I hope you like it. How can we bring people to be louder but closer? How can we get people to be indiv- you know, individualistic in their truth? Okay. But in a way that brings people together instead of dividing them. Because there are a lot of subcultures in the world, but they're losing support. People are becoming divided on both sides and becoming polarized. How is it that we can ensure that these subcultures exist in a way that draws people closer? How is it that we allow people to share their personal truths and opinions if they aren't completely weird and grow in that regard and, 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 and begin to flourish in an era where these things, these personal truths in the first place, no matter how true or beneficial, are banned? So that's the summit in a nutshell. And it's a bit personal for me because if I was able to meet the objective of this summit and draw the people in my house who were living with the status quo into my own subculture and ways of thinking, I would have been able to survive the cancer and not had to flee across the country and it would have been a lot of less trouble for all of us involved, a lot less hard feelings, okay? So that's essentially what Survivor the Cancer was about, but less about me and more about you and more about this guy. It's a picture of the old guy again, okay? Um, I'm here to invite you to the summit because I want you to share your story and ideas Okay, you don't know me, but I probably researched and been listening to your podcast and know a lot about you and the story and ideas that you present are are important they're valuable. And I think, you know, you have the key to the objective of this summit. Who you are is a large part of that key. But there's more than just that. Okay, so I want to talk about, you know, the 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 meaning of this summit from a marketing standpoint. Okay, I want to talk about because this is this is really what you stand to gain from the summit. I want to talk about uh you know, what this represents from an, from a broad overview rather than just the literal meaning of the summit. Okay. Uh, because again, like this is, the, I'm going to highlight in this next series of slides, uh, a new context to understanding the, the mass benefits you, you can gain from this. And it's, it's going to be insane. Just trust me. So this is, this, this summit, you know, our summit, you know, it'll be the first official event of our new company. Okay, like Dreamforce or the Apple event where Steve Jobs reveals the iPhone every year or Funnel Hacking Live because this is a us thing. We are on the chopping block. Okay, and so we, I want us to gather in this experience and in this venture because I believe it's beneficial to all. Okay, but let me explain what I'm saying here. During the summit, 30 speakers will likely reveal a pattern, okay, that pulling people into your subculture requires two things a piece of media, a well structured message, and distribution. Okay, culture creations require a properly formed message or idea and a way to get it out to the world. And 30 speakers will describe 30 ways of doing so, whether it's quick, uh, so quickly, whether it's through spreading a message through podcasts, IGTV videos, YouTube pictures, or whatever the hell else. And on the back end, a bonus summit day. So there are three three days of summit. And on the back end, a bonus summit day, which is just a webinar. I'll give you my own. I'll give my own strategy. Okay, so through this webinar will be the launch of our new venture that I want to describe to you, okay, which goes back to the whole ghostwriting thing. So let me tell a story to give context to this venture, okay, and why I think it's important that we all come together and participate in this, okay. Now, I say participate, but I don't really mean participate because I know you have your own business, you have your own focus, and I don't want you to ever deviate from your daily schedule. But here's something that I want to propose that I think can benefit us all in a drastic, drastic way. Now, I know this is a floater, you know, a bunch of ideas floating around, but I'm going to narrow down right now through this process of this story. 
So while ghostwriting others' books, it made me reflect on the power of books as a media form, okay? It, my reflection carried me into how my own transition from mainstream culture into this subculture of entrepreneurialism was prompted through books, okay? In fact, most great epiphanies in life are bought on by a book, okay? And so I'm chilling in this mainstream culture and I think I'm living my life the right way, but I was drawn into these different ways of thinking by a book, okay? And books do that in a way that most other media forms that have barriers to entry don't. Like, you can't think of like a TV show or like a YouTube video or a podcast episode, one, a singular one that was that, that, that changed the course of your life as drastically as a singular book has, okay? And for most entrepreneurs and people in general, that seems to be true. Whether that book for you that brought you from a, into the subculture was the Bible, the Communist Manifesto, Mein Kampf, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Awaken the Giant Within, the 4-Hour Workweek, the Secrets Trilogy, whatever it was, there you know, for a lot of us, it was likely a book that dragged you from mainstream culture into this new subculture. And so uh, the first crop of slides about the summit was telling you about the idea that we're going to bring to the marketplace. And so this next few crop of slides is going to tell you about why bringing that idea, you know, the physical manifestation of that idea into the market in the marketplace. Why bringing that idea into the marketplace was important in the first place. What are we trying to communicate? Uh, or what are we trying to funnel people into, rather? Okay, so I'm talking about books here and how books, you know, are, are, are very good for meeting the summit subjective. And uh, this is the webinar I'm proposing to people on the back end. Okay, and it seems to be true. Let me continue. So it seems to be true to a great capacity that books change cultures very effectively. Just think, was it a book that dragged you from society into entrepreneurship? And so it was that as a ghostwriter, people came to me to write them when they wanted to meet the summit subjective. When people wanted to, as I always said, take you know people within the mainstream narrative and draw them into new narratives, they did so often through a book. Now, webinars are effective too, but it's, it's usually through a book, okay? But I realized something because I was a ghostwriter. I realized there was a problem with ghostwriting, a fundamental disagreement between the writer, me, and the author or the entrepreneur who wanted their book to get out into the world. There was, you know, this, you know, so there, there was a problem going on, okay? So people were coming to me to meet the summit's objective already, but there was a problem that was occurring between us. And this was realized after a period of authors coming out with disapproval of their work. It clicked to me last December because I remember I was sitting in, uh, when I first really started writing for Bigger Entrepreneurs, I was, I, was, I was over here in LA dodging from Airbnb to Airbnb because I didn't have enough money to, for a down payment of an, of an apartment. And I was just trying, I was working for this young lady out of, out of Colorado. And, uh, you know, I remember it was a, a foggy and rainy December morning when I first got to LA, which was kind of weird. And I'm sitting in this guest house in the back of somebody else's house in this Airbnb. And I got like three days left on this Airbnb lease. And I'm trying to get this project done for this lady because it's a $2,000 project. And she says, when it's done, she'll send me the rest of the money. Okay. And I'm just trying to get it done, trying to get it done. I remember it was a Friday and I submitted it. And she said, okay, I'm going to call you on Saturday. She called me on Saturday. I pick up the phone and I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, man, this is so great. This is beautiful. But then she paused and she was like, but I don't know. It just doesn't sound like me. And this kind of triggered me because this is something that I heard before. Okay. Not even just once before, but you know, a few times before. And so I started researching, like, what the hell does that mean? I started to research how common this complaint was. The results of my research revealed to me a shocking truth. Most people that work with ghostwriters felt that way to some degree. 
and not just entrepreneurs who wanted to tell their stories, but even writers, just regular writers who submitted their stuff to publishing companies and had it edited by professional editors, quote unquote. You know, they felt like the essence was gone from their work. What made it their work was gone and someone else had wrote just another great book. Okay, there was just no way to pass an idea through the perceptions of another individual without tainting the finer details that made the work what it was, is what was being experienced. And I didn't know how to solve this problem for the people that often said this. Okay, it's like me telling you to paint a picture of a, a landscape by me describing it. Okay, you don't have access to the image that's in my head. And so what you portray is going to be a lot different than what I'm thinking of, what I'm visualizing. I made this joke, you know, before, but you know, it's like uh, the only people that can do that are the people who draw like the wanted posters real accurate and things like that. They're the only people that can do that, you know. But um, anyhow, there's people wanted to change the world, okay? Uh, the same way this summit, you know, with the problem of the summit, people wanted to get their world, ideas out into the world in a way that actually, you know, books was that tool that enabled them to create, profitably create new cultures. Uh, they To get their ideas out and change the world, therefore, but there was this bottleneck preventing them from accessing this media form, okay? There were a lot of roadblocks, okay? So there, these are some of the roadblocks for authors, okay? First off, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't great writers. That's why they were coming to me as a ghostwriter to facilitate this change in the world. And also, I think this is why Russell Brunson's value ladder is so effective also. Um, a lot of story, okay, and a lot of books. So first off, many entrepreneurs aren't great writers, okay? And a lot of entrepreneurs will probably admit that, whether it's Grant Cardone, uh, Gary Vee, Dean Graziosi, Frank Kern, I think a lot of these people use ghostwriters. Uh, secondly, entrepreneurs don't have years of time to sit in front of a computer and just type. Um, it's a long expanse of time to actually get a book done, okay? And third, the expenses that are around the book are kind of ridiculous, so even six-figure businesses can't afford a great ghostwriter or a great writer or, 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 or to you know afford all the pieces that come to putting these things together. Okay, so those are the roadblocks for authors. And yet still, the only alternative for these authors, these entrepreneurs who want to get their ideas out and meet the objective of this summit, the Surviving the Cancel Summit, are expensive, slow, and inaccurate ghostwriters. The same solution, ironically, that would have been provided to them, people who are unable to write probably thousands and thousands of years ago. There have been no advancement in this sector. And this wasn't the only issue with ghostwriting, okay? So I just described the, the, you know, the, the part of the disagreement on the side of the author and the entrepreneur. But there was a problem with, on, on my side, the ghostwriter, the writer as well. The second half of the disagreement between client and company was on my end, the company's end. And so the problem that I was running into is well, I would get like, a, like, let's say I get a job for $1,000. And then I try to hire somebody because I'm just too exhausted and burnt out to get this done or I have too much work on the table. And so I hire a subsidiary writer to complete the job where I sit back and do nothing because I'm the CEO of the operation. And whereas I have $1,000 profit at first, maybe 800 of it will go to this new writer and 200 will be reaped for me. Okay, so that's not a lot of money for the task that's being done. And so here's the problem. Due to ghostwriting being an intensive service, its ability to scale to a high level was stunted. Because as you grow your business and you hire people, you lose more and more profits because you're hiring these intensive workers. Okay, they're really working very hard to get this work done and they're, they should be highly paid. Okay, uh, whereas, you know, I was learning about this. It's called Economies of Scale from Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. He talks a lot about this in his book. Uh, how the top 10 companies in the world probably, like, they really aren't ever services because with a service you know as you scale you need to hire more people on but like a software company you know once you get the core software done you need some a few engineers but as you scale your company you don't need to hire more people 
Okay, it's like selling a course. You can sell a course and they're just selling, 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 selling. You can scale that course without hiring people to, you know, actually do more work. So you get a lot more profits from it, okay? They have higher capacity. And so ghostwriting as an opportunity was limited in itself. That's the problem I was experiencing because you had to do, you know, all this labor had to be hired to even work the damn thing. So in essence, in an agreement between a ghostwriter and client, neither party is served well. What I realized was that ghostwriting wasn't a service, but rather it is a disservice to all that was involved. It's a little joke if you didn't know. And so I quit ghostwriting and began to search for alternatives for those who preferred the impact of writing, but who had naturally possessed no great writing skill. What can we do for these people, okay? And so for entrepreneurs, for instance, I look to the great entrepreneurs of the world first, honest, obviously, because these are who you know we plan to serve. You know, the, you know, the, 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 the summit itself, okay is 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 directed towards people who are entrepreneurs who have their money needs met and they want to go on to impact the world and so this webinar is saying on the back end of the summit is saying okay if you want to impact the world a book is a great way to do so okay and that's why a lot of entrepreneurs write books and this is why i realized as a ghostwriter um and so in order to solve the problem of the people on the summit i went to the entrepreneurs of the world obviously because they should have the solution. I mean, people who have written books before, what are the things that they've gone through? Market research, if you will. So I study all the solutions they use them to, them to, blah, blah, blah. I study all the solutions they themselves use and as well as the solutions they themselves taught. So what are entrepreneurs already doing? Okay. How are they already getting through this issue? So many entrepreneurs from Russell Brunson and Gary Vee, they simply went the bullet, bit the bullet and got ghostwriters or co-writers. A lot of entrepreneurs just use co-writers. Uh, but all the entrepreneurs like Frank, Frank Kern and Dean Graziosi, they, they, they opted to use a hybrid method, okay? And the hybrid method they were using was called dictation, okay? And dictation essentially was they would record voice memos of chapter, you know, that represented chapters within their book. And then they would send these voice memos to a, a series of transcription services. And then they would send the transcribed voice memo to editors, which is, which is kind of smart. Okay, but uh, the fact of the matter is dictation in itself, it was a great start, but it had its limitations. I tested it out myself. So it was essentially the same thing as hiring a ghostwriter. Because in order to use dictation, I, you know, I spoke into a voicemail to complete my last book, which was only about 50 pages. I was able to dictate the entire thing within about a day or two or something like that. Real, real quick. So it's good in that regard. But where I run into issues was that I actually transcribed it. And I realized that speaking language and writing language are worlds apart. And so editing, editing it took me an entirely separate swath of time, like a new additional two weeks or something like that. And it was actually just the same amount of time that it would have taken if I would have written it from scratch in the first place, editing the entire jumble of words that didn't make any sense. I have examples of what dictation result and transcription results in within this PowerPoint. So I'm going to go over that as well. And so, uh, Essentially, when you send this thing out to an editor, because it's so jumbled, he's going to send you an entirely new work. And he's going to take the same amount of time that a ghostwriter would take in the first place. So, but with each option presented, either the qualms of the author or the writer both went unsolved. Ghostwriting just couldn't work, even with dictation. Okay. And so I stumbled, I continued to research and use meth these methods as a rough outline until I stumbled upon something entirely different that prompted a new epiphany in me. What I stumbled upon, if you know this already, is the GTP-3. Uh, it's the third variation uh, of a technology that came out in 2017 okay the third variation came out this year essentially what the gtp-3 is it's a robot that writes books in the simplest terms possible in this robot you feed it a prompt and it can continue the prompt for a page or two this 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 it's a language model is what they call it it's capable of writing articles on its own and comments on its own without 
you know, that, that are, you know, the difference between its comments and a human's comments and its human's writing are completely, like, it's hard to tell. It's very, very difficult to tell the difference, okay? It's a robot that's a great writer, okay? Now, while that may be a little, because this is cutting-edge technology, may be a little difficult to replicate, something far more simpler is the epiphany that was sparked by viewing, you know, the, the limits of technology in the modern era. And so the idea that I came up with is the next generation now it's not all it's obviously not transcription it's something entirely brand new but uh i say transcription because it's easier to describe it by using something familiar so the next uh, the big idea is the next generation of transcription services okay essentially the development of an ai that will describe uh, transcribe so it'll transcribe your voice memos when you dictate it'll translate them so it translated from speaking language, which is completely different, to writing language, which is identifies the message that's being said. It'll correct, you know, uh, all the flaws that remain, and then enhance the voice transcriptions of unskilled authors. And what enhance means is once you have this dictation that's been transcribed, then translated to writing language and corrected to actually be formal, you can enhance selectively uh, what you want to enhance. Okay, the same way something like Grammarly might. Okay, but uh, you know, on a, obviously on a different level. So Grammarly is a billion dollar company and all it does is, you know, correct things. Okay, I wanna take it all to a next level. Enhancement means maybe you could, like GTP-3, what it can do is if you give it a humorous prompt, it can write humorous for the rest of the way. Okay, and so you should be able to, companies like Quobot do something similar, you know, also, but they're, this is a new industry, so they're kind of just beginning. Enhance means you can take paragraphs of writing once you have what you want to write and ch you know uh, change pretty much paraphrase the way Quobot does the paragraph into something entirely new based off what you need so if you want the paragraph to example for example to be more humorous paraphrase it change a few words in it is what the AI should be able to do and it's more humorous uh, if you want it to be more conversational tone you should be able to paraphrase that paragraph to be a more conversational um, you know, it goes on and on. If you want it to be a higher level of English, maybe you can go from fourth grade English to 10th grade English with a switch of a dial and enhance this paragraph. Uh, this, you know, if this is able to be accomplished, obviously it'll be a lot, it'll be a difficult journey. Um, we can make, we can revolutionize writing forever. And so that you can just speak, anyone that can speak can transcribe what they've spoken, translate it to writing language, correct it and enhance it to the level of English and, and, and the, the forms of English that they want. Okay, even unskilled authors should be able to participate in this media form that is responsible for a lot of the changes and advancements and ideas in the world. Okay, whereas transcription service only transcribe. Here is the idea what the nearest competitor can do. This is Quillbot. Quillbot is a company that, because people realize the, the importance of this category, voice writing. Um, Quillbot, you know, you could just go to Quillbot.com. It's like a very rugged version. Um, of what I'm proposing, it can like do it can it can paraphrase things. So you give it a paragraph, it can make it a new paragraph. It can make it standard. It can increase the fluency. It can make the paragraph more creative. It can make it more suggestive. It can make it more concise. Like it has modes, and it, that determines how it paraphrases. Okay, and uh, but Quobot Quobot was funded by like 20 million by the founder of Groupon. Okay, but anyhow. Throw Quillbot out the window. The idea is to go from this result, this is me using trans uh, dictation uh, the way these entrepreneurs propose. Uh, this is a prompt that I wrote just, just by dictating. It's actually a podcast episode I made. Uh, it says, people that anybody within a marketing industry can become the marketing guy and replace Russell Brunson that anybody that was in the coaching industry. And this is the industry 
could become Tony Robinson, replace Tony Robbins. Um, now, if we want to switch the dial back to business, you know the idea is that any business could, if they get enough sales and enough support um, and keep reinvesting in themselves and they get better and better and better, like that is not writing language, that is speaking language. That's why dictation fails. And if I were to edit this, it'd be easier to just write it from scratch. We want the, the idea is to go from this result to, this is actually something that I've written, but it's just an example. Go from this jumbled result to when you dictate, you can actually get this result. There is a common misconception amongst marketers that any competitor within a given industry, if provided with superior marketing and profit margins, can become and replace the industry's category king. That any media company can become the next Netflix or that any smartphone company can become the next Apple by way of rugged and direct competition. That is the same paragraph, okay? But this is just what I would write it as. Speaking and writing language are different and we want to bridge that gap so that people can actually dictate without having to go through expensive ghostwriters and editors and co-writers and things like that, right? So they can get a pure result that they actually respect and admire because it reflects what they wanted to say in the first place, okay? Um, this can yield an entirely new category because it won't be a transcription service. It'll be voice writing um, and result in a satisfied customer because they have something that they actually want and a business that can actually scale because it re relies on software and AI rather than people to write, okay? Uh, and this is where I say, this is, this is going back to that fifth bullet point, a feeder program. Uh, this is what I mean by that. So this idea that I'm proposing is an entirely new company and I want you to be a passive, keyword passive, partner of this new opportunity because I believe it's amazing and new opportunity. Um, through this opportunity, we will be able to enable anyone with a voice to be able to complete a well-written novel of their exact taste within 24 hours without expensive ghostwriters or editors who saw the clarity of their work. How may that, like, that's the future. So they should have, act, you know, we should be, anyone with a voice should have access to the most influential media form and be able to meet the objective of this summit. Anybody should be able to uh, convey a complex emotion, enhance their writing without sapping their brain power to do so. Okay. And here on the next slide, it's just a picture of, uh, you know, it's a long story, but if you go to YouTube, it's what it's like to be a computer. They did an interview with this GTP-3. And so where's the GTP-3? It can write and it can be used for writing purpose. It's a language model. And so it's more akin to something like a Siri or, uh, or Cortana or the Amazon Echo, um, it can speak and do all you know, all sorts of crazy things. And so they have a, a, a interview on YouTube with the GTP-3. It's it, it has a digital avatar. It's like some black dude with a little nice haircut. And they talk back and forth to this machine. And um, I put this picture within the presentation because I just wanted to display like where we're starting with a voice writing category. It's much more than that. That's just, you know, you know Facebook when it was a college thing. That's just... Jeff Bezos when Amazon was just selling books. The category is a lot more expansive than just voice writing. You know, you see this digital avatar, if you go to this interview and they talk back and forth with it, we can use digital avatars to replace actual writers. And you can have sessions with this thing that allows you to actually interface with a person that will help you, that's not a real person, it's an AI, that will help you create your novel and create your books and lend you suggestions in that way. I think this category can, can, can even be expanded into something that you know, uh, it'll replace, it'll be the next generation of these things we speak to on our phone, like Cortana and Siri and things like that. Um, it's a super, super expansive category uh, that, that, that can result in so much.
Okay, and so that's the idea behind our new endeavor that I want you to be a partner in that you I want you to not participate in but be a partner of. Okay, it's on us to enable the voice in all the stories of this generation and the next. Okay, because it was a story that changed you. Let's not rob the world of that advancement and that in those changes. And I also want this to because it'll be something that enables the next rich dad, poor dad, or the next influence or the next awaken the giant within. And all the you know the results these pieces have created for the world, it'll be a, a, a company that enables these things. Um, I also wanted to do, double as a as a as a uh, as a charity, you know. And so for all the books that come through this company, I want to donate a certain amount as well. Because imagine if the people that you know when you got these books that changed your life, imagine if the people around you got them as well, and how they would be changed by them. You know, imagine if you didn't have it because for some reason you just couldn't afford it. You know, this could be a very big thing. Now, I know you're probably saying to yourself, I don't have time to focus on a whole separate company. And I completely respect that. I mean, you don't. Obviously, your company is the most important thing to you. It's your main focus. And it should be. And I don't want you to deviate from that. And that's why I was specific with my language when I said you can have a new feeder program for your business. You know, you have your own business to grow. And so added to all this sentimental jargon, this company will serve as a feeder program to your mission. Let me explain what I mean by that. I remember I was young when I first started wrestling. Um, you know, I was looking around and I was, uh, realizing that a lot of schools within our area, you know, I went to Eastern Tech High School, but there were other schools in our area, um, you know, that were very good. And whereas all of these students in our school were coming into our school and they were very new to wrestling, I realized very quickly early on that a lot of our competitors were beating us, not because they were just better people, but a lot of these kids were coming into these schools like Hereford, uh, high school, um, already having wrestled before. And that didn't mean anything to me when I was a freshman. But as I got better and better and better, I started to look at our freshmen when I became a senior. I was the MVP of my team. But I would look at these freshmen and I realized, why are our freshmen so new and fresh off the, you know, but these other freshmen at these other schools are like all of them are like varsity already. And my coach was talking to me. He was like, oh, it's because they have feeder programs. And essentially what feeder programs did for a school is like a school like Hereford. All their freshmen were coming in like beasts and state champions and things like that. They would be programs that allowed people before high school age level you know elementary school and middle schoolers to come to these clubs and to wrestle and they would groom these kids to be great wrestlers before they funneled them they would they would they would uh nurture these leads before they funneled them into Hereford High School and so by the time they got to Hereford High School they already had this long runway of experience whereas we didn't have a feeder program and so our school wrestling program didn't flourish the way theirs did and you could look at other states like Pennsylvania there would be feeder programs like Young Guns that would channel these beasts into these high schools like Franklin Regional and Kennard Dale and so these people when they get to high school they'd be like four time state champions without losing a single time they would be historically good wrestlers okay and so that's the idea Okay, we want to build a feeder program to supercharge your business instead of you taking all your time and energy to focus on this new venture. Now, that seems like real way more romantic than it will actually be. It'll be a struggle for all of us. But, uh, you know, it's essentially another step in your value ladder that you share passive ownership in. What I'm proposing to you is that I want to, you know, within, a, within you know, for I want to come together to build this new opportunity. Okay, and this opportunity, while it had its own purpose, it'll double in its purposes. And a secondary purpose will to be to nurture leads and send them off to your company. You know, it's nurture leads and people and interest and traffic 
towards the opportunities that you already have going on in a passive way that you don't have to focus on. So essentially I'm proposing you build a feeder program that you have ownership in, you have shares in, that nurtures leads for your company and you just you just hire a separate CEO, which would be probably me or someone else, to take care of this feeder program for you so that it passively brings in leads and supercharges the opportunities that you have going on that you care about. Okay, it would be like, um, let's go on to the next page. Okay, so this company will primarily be a media company, okay? It would be a company similar to Wattpad, but obviously better than Wattpad with the technology integrated in. Wattpad has like 19 million subscribers or something like that. And uh, I think we can put a hole in that bucket. But anyhow, this company will probably be, probably be a media company. It'll have a lot of media and a lot of traffic to it, okay? But it'll be a media company that provide, it prioritizes your media as a partner, okay? So whether that be allowing early access to ad programs the way like Instagram TV does, or making your beginner courses the default training programs, uh, you know, or listing your books and other content under the recommended or editor's picks, um, whatever it do, it'll send leads into your funnel and supercharge your business. That'll be the secondary purpose of this media business, okay? Uh, and I don't want you to have to deviate from your day-to-day or tend to this at all. I want it to be a passive experience beyond the events of this summit, okay? The events of this summit will not be passive, obviously, but beyond that, um, I want a partnership that raises all ships, a tide that raises all boats, uh, in effect, um, it, it'll be akin to how like if you go to Google and you search like a video, like a, a title or whatever, and then you click video column, uh, all the options that come up will usually be YouTube. It won't be like Vimeo videos or anything like that because Google is a partner to YouTube. Well, Google owns YouTube actually, but there's this synergy between the two apps that provide leads to both. Okay. And that's kind of the idea that I'm expressing right here. Um, you know, it's building another step in your value ladder. Okay. And so I want you to be a partner in this opportunity uh, to build this feeder program and this great opportunity that I believe could be a unicorn for the, for the good of all of us. Okay. Um, but let's further, our, further ourselves in this presentation. There's still haste in our launch. Okay. Because like all, with all innovations, the first to nail a category wins. And so Microsoft recently licensed the GTP-3 exclusively um, because they realized that, you know, there's a need for innovation in this category. They realize this, as well as people who are funding Quillbot, you know, the owner of Groupon or the creator of Groupon. Um, they've realized for advancement in this writing sector, okay? And so we don't have a lot of time. We have to launch this right now because the one that nails the new category wins. Categories, a lot of people uh, believe that the valuation of companies is based on revenue and sales and things like that are that are occurring right now when actually that's not true what it's based on and i know a lot of you know this but some of you might not is how much of a category how much of a market a company can potentially capture and whether that ca- that category or that company you know that market is growing or collapsing and a perfect example of this in society is people call tesla a bubble but tesla's not a bubble tesla is just in a new and brand new category and so you'll have two competitors like Toyota and Tesla. Toyota is in, Toyota has four times, I believe, the revenue of Tesla, okay? Um, But Toyota is in a category, internal combustion engine vehicles, that is dying. And so despite having four times the revenue of Tesla, Tesla's worth three times more than Toyota. And that's strictly on the basis of having a new and upcoming category. Tesla has about 500 million in revenue compared to Toyota's like 2 billion in revenue or something like that. But Tesla, where Toyota is worth 200 billion, is worth 600 billion. 
because the category that it's eating up, the market that it's eating up is far greater. I mean, it has a greater potential than a category that despite making more revenue, Toyota isn't. The category is something that matters a whole bunch. And you can see like things like Airbnb probably has a lot less revenue than you know major companies like Hilton, these big hotel chains. But I believe the most value hospitality place is Airbnb. It's more valuable than the top three hotel chains in the world. These are new categories that are coming up. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what the revenue is because the future revenue of these categories, because it's a growing category, is greater than the failing categories. And I believe this could be a new category. And so there's haste in our launch to take control of this new category because obviously the people at the top of the food chain, the category kings, reap the most benefit from them. Okay. Think of companies like Rivian, Arrival, and Nikola. All these are electric vehicle companies. None of them have the mass of Tesla because Tesla is the projected category king. But even still, because they're in a new category, the principle of having a new category still applies. So Nikola has zero dollars in revenue, but it's worth twenty billion. The owner of this company is worth two billion because the category is expanding, because the category is growing. Okay. Um, but let's go on to the next slide. And so the time for this summit is now. The time for this summit and this following launch is right now. I don't think we have another window of opportunity to spare. And so this window of opportunity is here and it's extremely slim and it's growing thinner every single day. It really is vanishing very quickly. And because of what you represent, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a face of this summit. I want you to be a face of this launch. I want you to be a face of this movement and of this company and everything in between. Because you've survived the cancel. Because you've made a positive impact on this world. And because in a lot of ways, your objective and your mission to help people already aligns with where this is headed. Okay, so I want you to be that person rather choosing to be this guy. Uh, this is a face of that old man again that I was talking about earlier. But except in this slide, he's positioned in a, you know, in a context that really reveals who he is. So there are three figures on this slide. It's the old man, it's Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. So the third man obviously is Ronald Wayne. He's the third co-founder of Apple who sold his 10% share in Apple back to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak for $800. Um, had he not sold those shares back, had he remained a partner of this opportunity, he would be the richest man in the world undisputed. His shares would be worth about $220 billion. You know, Instead, his net worth, I believe, is about $400,000. Okay, now obviously this is kind of like a just a front prod. No one that's watching this summit because they all have successful business and ways of being can possibly ever be Ronald Wayne, you know, because they have their own venture going on. But the idea here is that, you know, there are mass opportunities exist. And where there's a lot that stands to be gained, there's a lot to give up. I mean, there's, there's a very, very little bit to give up. That $800 wasn't worth a 200 200 billion dollar opportunity you know that exchange doesn't make sense and i don't want anybody to make that exchange and so the choice is yours the only commitment for this summit is an hour to record the summit session and another future zoom session to record content and share what we've created to your podcast show i want you to participate in the summit and then share the summit on your podcast that is really it after that like I said, the creation of this company, everything else after its launch, is just a passive process. You don't have to be involved in any of that if you don't want to. You'll just own shares in the opportunity and be promoted by the media company that comes up out of it, the quote-unquote media company, whatever you want to call it. Um, so the choice is yours. You can give a miscellaneous spare hour in this upcoming week. Everything is pre-recorded. The process is super, super simplified because I know everyone's busy. Um, it's pre-recorded. It's just an hour. 
um, that's pretty much it. Uh, so give a spare hour in his upcoming weeks towards the future for a chance of something interesting or just walk away and let someone step up to the plate. So uh, for what this opportunity represents um, versus an hour of time, which hour of time is extremely valuable, don't get me wrong, but I think the benefits are stacked on to where it's at least equivalent. It kind of makes sense. And so I want you to be a speaker on this summit. And so here's the process the summit's process. Here's a, here's a quick overview of it, of it in case you want to actually be a speaker on the summit. The first part of the summit process is that we speak, okay? Now, if you go below this podcast episode, it'll be my number or Calendly link in the description where you can book a time to actually talk, okay? And that session is we're just going to talk. We're just going to have a conversation to, to get to know each other and understand each other because we, you know, I, I, want, I want to be friends. I want to be pals, okay? The second thing that happens after that conversation is that we book a future date to actually get the summit session done. It's just over Zoom. It can be any time, any, any, any date in the future, okay? And we're just going to do an hour. I'm going to ask you that core summit hypothetical and then a couple subsidiary questions um, over Zoom. And that'll pretty much be your summit session, okay? And then we're going to record a conversation after that in some future date or maybe even on that same call if you want to do that within the same day. It could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour or whatever. I don't really care. It could be going to record a conversation to present what we've created, this new movement, this new launch, and this new opportunity to your podcast audience because this summit obviously needs traffic. And then we're going to attach the affiliate link to that episode so that you can get your commissions and we'll be all done. I'll be out of your hands or out of your hair or whatever they say. Okay, so just a quick recap before I close this presentation out. Why should you be a speaker? Okay, to promote your message in business, to earn a bit of profit from the traffic you send to the site, to gain a mass of new members to your list, to gain a new front-end product, and to build and develop a feeder program to supercharge what it is that you dream of already. And uh, other than that, you know, I have a few other more subsidiary reasons. The next one is just have fun because something will be interesting and cool, you know, and potentially enjoyable to do and then you know the last reason is you know to really because I know I see a lot of people that I want to invite on this summit go on the Instagram like Josh 40 you know and you go out and you go hard every day you talk to people on your story because you really want to change the world uh you know and so the last reason is just to take another swing uh, you know, to hypercharge the ways we want to change the world, just to, just just to change the world, just to prompt, put 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 out a new message, and, and a new opportunity for the people who need to, who need that. Just 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 to reach the people, you know, the the people of this planet in a way that can change them further. That's pretty much it. Okay, so once again, my name is Dallas. I'm you know I'm trying to bootstrap a technology company from scratch, and uh, this is my presentation and pitch to you. Uh, I, I hope to see you on the summit. I hope to speak to you soon. You know, love and enjoy your content regardless. But um, yeah, I hope that you know you choose to be a speaker on the summit. And if you do, just go down in the description below and book your time to speak to me, or you know, call or text my phone. Uh, the number is four four three nine eight six six eight three nine, and I look forward to hearing from you. My name is Dallas. Once again. Peace out.